Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. You're listening to Chicago's number one sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. A radio.com sports station. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. The Score! Arturis, obviously, this time as we get closer and closer to the date, there's, there's more and more phone calls probably being taken place amongst the league amongst all these executives. But I think the one thing that's great is I trust that Arturis is going to, you know, make any kind of decision. It's always going to try to help our team get better. And he's included me in on all those decisions. And we've talked about all, all those things. Nothing has come across uh, from, from Arturis to me about, Hey, this is a solid deal. And this is out. We got to make a decision on this. What do you think that is not taking place? Those things could happen getting closer to, to the date. But I think that, you know, Arturis is going to be constantly looking at how, how can we improve the team? And I, I think I said this from the beginning, you know, it's an opportunity these last, whatever it is, 40 games for him to evaluate and look at our team and, you know, for us to have discussions about, you know, which, what ways can he, you know, try to help the group. It's Mark Grody on 670, the score, a radio.com sports station. NBA trade deadline coming soon very soon it's on thursday as a matter of fact that was bulls head coach billy donovan and his team hosts cleveland tomorrow the bulls lost to the utah jazz 122 95 last night as we bring in cody westerland who covers the bulls for 670 thescorecom does a great job at that and uh cody i would say about the game last night before we get into some of the trade deadline stuff it's not that the Bulls are bad. It's just that Utah is really damn good, aren't they? Utah has the best record in the NBA for a reason, Grody. You hit that one on the head. They know exactly who they are on the floor. They got a uh, one of the best benches in the NBA as well, which goes a really long way in the regular season, and it goes a really long way in a regular season with a lot of uh, COVID chaos with players on some teams in and out of the lineup. So uh, they know what they want to do around Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. 
Uh, obviously dominated the paint. Gobert did against the Bulls last night with 10 rebounds and nine blocks. And it was pretty much over as soon as Zach Levine left the floor with about three minutes in the first quarter. And the Jazz went on a big run. I think it was 17-0 run, but the Bulls bench had no chance. The Jazz are wonderful. I don't think there's any huge takeaways from that game last night. But there are some uh, more concerning trend lines for the Bulls, I think, over a longer period of time. Yeah, and uh, you're right. You're right, because that's what I kept thinking watching that game last night. Like, I can't really – I didn't even go into that game thinking, well, this is a test for the Bulls. I was like, Utah is better, and they showed it. What are some of those, those as you said, over a long-haul long trends that are concerning you right now, Cody? Well, where do you want to start, Grody? Because we can, <laughs> we can put Lowry Markinen in there. We can put uh-huh. Kobe White. We can put Wendell Carter Jr., uh, who comprised three of the Bulls' last four first-round draft picks here since the rebuild started in 2017. But uh, let's start with Markkinen. Obviously, he's the name that we've seen pry land in trade speculation more than any other from the Bulls here just in the last week or so, and there's a reason for that. It's because he and the Bulls didn't agree to a long-term extension prior to the deadline before the season for guys like him coming off rookie deals. So, He'll go into restricted free agency, which means the Bulls have matching rights, but the problem is he hasn't produced at a high enough level to make them comfortable uh, giving him big money, certainly, and it sounds like they're about $4 million apart previously, uh, according to reporting from our friend Casey Johnson. So that's a pretty big gulf, and it clearly showed how the Bulls viewed Markkinen's past production and whatever they'd seen on film uh, coming from the new front office, the new regime with Billy Donovan in charge of the coaching staff, obviously. So uh, I think that's something that'll obviously track. I mean, if you had to set odds right now on the most likely bull to be traded by Thursday afternoon, we would have thought that young maybe a month ago. But it sounds like from all indications and reports is the Bulls really want to hang on to him and try to remain competitive this year and understanding what he means to these young guys. And Larry Markinen's the guy that they're listening to offers from, according to multiple reports. So I think that's the biggest thing to watch. And the reason is, it's not because he can't score the ball or can't shoot it. It's just because Larry hasn't stayed healthy and he hasn't affected games enough with his rebounding or his defense. And those are big red flags when you got half the court that you have problems on and you're not available every single night for 82 games or 72 games in this season, I guess you should say. So what do you think is is the best the Bulls could do? Like, what's his value in the market right now, Laura Mark? What's the best they could do in a trade, you think? Well, I mean, I think the pie-in-the-sky hope or prayer would be, like, can you somehow formulate a market in for Lonzo Ball deal because the Bulls need a point guard so bad. But uh, – mm. Lowry Markkinen does not fit in New Orleans whatsoever. I don't think he has trade value nearly as high as Lonzo Ball, whose arrow's pointing up a little bit more this year. Um, He's had his inconsistencies at times, but he's a guy that um, can showcase that he's played off the ball a little bit, upticked his three-point shooting, and is a better defensive player for for their, their positions that they're guarding. So I don't think that's possible. And I don't know. Like, it's hard to scope out who in the NBA wants Markkinen, right? Like, there haven't been a lot of teams directly tied to him. It's just Bulls are listening to offers for him, which makes you think sometimes, like, that might be even the Bulls leaking something just to get more teams to call about him if they feel mm-hmm. like um, he could be could be taken by someone else. But his, his value is not really high right now. So um, I find that hard. I First-round draft picks, like the Thunder – 
have all of them or the Pelicans have like all of them, right? Because of these <laughs> trades of Paul George yeah. and Anthony Davis in recent years, like not as many contenders have that. So I think if you're to match up marketing with someone, I, I don't see him going to like a contender. It'd be more of a team that wants him obviously for the next four years on his next contract and wants what his bird rights are. And that's, that's the right to match a contract in restricted free agency uh, if another team offers it. So uh, that's why I think it's still difficult to trade marketing, but clearly the Bulls are um, out there on the phone regarding uh, his his future, talking about it to someone. We just don't know who yet, really. Now, last thing on marketing, do you think they could get a first-round pick for marketing, and would they settle for a second-round pick? I don't. No, I don't think they'd settle for a second-round pick. I there's there's more things you could do, uh, honestly, just in the summer if. If his offer comes in low and you just do want to match it, like the Bulls might still think Larry Markkinen's a great player to have on their team for $15 million a year instead of 20 or 21 million a year. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. I don't think a second round picks worth more than seeing how the summer could play out. And you always got to remember too, you can, you can do sign and trade deals, just the, the way the CBA is structured, restricted free agency obviously favors teams and you can work with other teams. The Bulls actually, for example, got Tomas Sadoransky in a sign and trade uh, there a couple summers ago. So it, it happens fairly routinely here in recent years in the NBA. So I think that'd be worth more. I, I don't think they would probably get a first round pick for marketing unless someone really, really loved him. Like, I feel like the first round pick, just the way they're going, the teams that have them, like the the contenders, would want someone like Thad Young who can contribute immediately to a championship run this year and next year more. But I mean, marketing still has value. I, I wouldn't rule that out, but I would find it unlikely. I think that's obviously what it'd take or, or a young player that the Bulls liked that we've talked about a little bit. So his trademark is really weird, though. It, it just is because his name's out there, but there doesn't seem to be a ton of interest. So the Thad Young thing is is strange to me. I, I'm pretty sure I've talked to you about it. Like I, I would, I would definitely trade him if if you if you got the the right price. But do they maybe look at Thad Young as a guy who could be a contributing part of this team when when they are contending again? Or like I, I just is is it really just the rationale that that he helps the younger players? I just have a hard time with this one. No, I don't think they view him really past his current contract, which what's this 2021. So it'll run through the end of next season. So um, whenever the 2022 off season is, that's when his contract will end with the Bulls. So they got basically a year and a half left with him. I don't think they view him as a key piece. I mean, maybe they'd bring him back on another one for, for leadership, but not certainly to be a, a fulcrum of the team like he is now. I mean, he's basically their second best player behind Zach Levine. He's initiating offense all the time. They don't view him as that past this year, really. Um, or pass next year. So but they got to trade uh, them then. They got if, they, if there's an offer, then they got to trade. So him, I don't think they? the reason, part of the reason is they do believe that that would really, I think it would crush the morale of some of these players in the locker room. I agree with you. If I got a first round draft pick for Thad Young, I would trade him because this thing in the East, like the Bulls are probably going to end up in the seven, eight, nine, ten play-in structure, and I'm just not viewing that as um, having as much merit or worth as some people are like, they're like, oh, you're in the playoffs. Well, I mean, you could be gone in one game, you know, or two games in right. the play-in area. And I don't think that changes the trajectory of your franchise much. But what keeping Thad Young can do is it can keep Zach Levine happy if you want to sign Zach Levine to an extension this offseason and build around him for the future. And it does help some of these younger guys, I think, improve. But, I mean, we just talked about Markin and hasn't showcased it enough consistently. 
Carter and Kobe White were so bad that they got pulled from the starting lineup. So Bulls are just in a weird spot. Like, I mean, the honeymoon's running out a little bit, right? Because now you're in a spot where, oh, you're going to keep Thad Young and contend, but you're probably going to get the, the 10 seed, but you might be flipping a young guy in Larry Markkinen if you like something. So it's a little confusing. Maybe we know more, I guess, at, what, 3.01 or 2.01 p.m. on Thursday afternoon when the trade deadline uh, has, has passed here in the NBA. But I would hedge toward trading Thad Young just because I, I get the sense that this Bulls team is still, like, you know, four or five years away from contending at a really high level. I don't think they're one or two years away from contending at a high level. Talking to Cody Westerland of uh, 670thescore.com. He covers the Bulls for us. I'm Mark Grody here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Wendell Carter Jr. is that guy on this team that I feel like everybody kind of roots for because he seems like a sincere guy. He tries hard. He's earnest in his comments and honest about things. But what's going on with him? What is his future with the Chicago Bulls and and for the rest of the season, even in terms of what he's going to contribute? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't expect him to be traded before the deadline Thursday, just because there's really no buzz around him. And like, you, you want to be careful as a front office just because someone's arrows pointing down in the last few weeks. I don't think that's a reason to dump him. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. pull him from the starting lineup and then give up on him and trade him a week later. I don't think that's great business. You're not getting great value out of that. Um, you'd be better off building his confidence back up and seeing what he can do in the last half of the season and reevaluating things in the summer. But certainly, I mean, if there's a bigger deal or something important, Uh, I don't think he'd be off the table. No one's really off the table here right now, probably other than Patrick Williams just because they drafted him and Zach Levine because of how well he's played. So it would take like a godfather offer for Levine to be traded. So uh, Wendell's talked about, you know, he's just, his mindset kind of wavers from game to game. He gets down on himself and that was a problem and he hasn't been consistent. So the Bulls sent him to the bench because they need more production. I think it was kind of a message from Billy Donovan, but like you get back to it. This, this whole send them to the bench thing to like inspire them, send a message, and maybe have them play against opposing players who aren't as good isn't exactly working for Wendell Carter Jr. and Kobe White. They've still been inconsistent. I mean, Wendell's averaging about eight points and seven rebounds, which is fine considering, you know, more limited minutes, I guess. But he's still only shooting 44% since going to the bench, which is a really bad figure for a big man. Kobe White kind of in the same same range there I mean just by way of struggling coming off the bench he's shooting I think 37 percent in the six games since he's uh, got sent to the bench so like it's not really working and helping their inconsistencies are still on display just as much and they don't have as much time to work through them either so um it's rough like this is the Bulls got to make hard decisions here at some point and maybe one of those comes before Thursday. Otherwise, I think they got to look long and hard at stuff this offseason because right now these young guys they have, they're performing at a level that's more in line with being bench players, not being starting players. And in a way that you see the potential of Patrick Williams to grow so much more, Carter and White and, and Markinen aren't, aren't quite like that being 19 and being rookies. I know Kobe's only his second year in the NBA. He's got a lot of time to grow still, but Carter and Markinen have been going at it for a few seasons here and it hasn't worked between them and their pairing and um, they just haven't been consistent enough. So they got, they got a lot to figure out. Yeah. And then there's the, the fourth quarter conundrum and it was very dramatic in a couple of recent games. I think it was Kobe White in the Denver game who had a flagrant foul, and that's where it all kind of started to to go downhill after that. H- have you seen any trends or reasons why the Bulls have struggled in fourth quarters this year? 
Well, I mean, I don't think they're, honestly, as a team, their basketball IQ is high enough, Grody. And I think some of that in the fourth quarter, obviously being young um, and not making smart plays, and say what you want, but opposing teams are going to lock in in the fourth quarter more than the first quarter, right? Like you look at that Nuggets game. They're playing their butts off in the fourth quarter in a way that maybe they weren't quite doing in the first quarter. So like your weaknesses get magnified, your, your shortcomings on whatever it is you're doing offensively, defensively get magnified and there's no time to, to make up those. And like this team, I mean, Wendell Carter Jr.'s talked about like he gets down on himself when something starts snowballing. That's kind of the way the whole team goes. Like when you're looking in a fourth quarter against the Nuggets, like just because you foul Michael Porter Jr. on a three-pointer when you're Kobe White at Denver and the Bulls are up 14, doesn't mean you should like be throwing up a wild shot on the next possession off the backboard that has no chance. It doesn't mean you should be over dribbling a possession later. You know, like it just doesn't make sense. These Bulls don't move on to the next play as well as they need to. And I think some of that is experience and I think some of it's just ingrained in their weaknesses right now. This isn't a team that's that's closing games well against good competition. And I would say like They've they've handled lesser competition uh, how they should. Like I mean, for the most part, I think they're on like a 10-game winning streak against teams with an under 500 record or something in that range, and it's been those teams above 500. So there's certainly something there that that those teams have a calmness to them where they expect to win, and the Bulls don't have that. And I would just like to make my overarching point of the whole year, Grody. Like get yes. a get a traditional point guard, and like a lot uh-huh. of these fourth quarter like woes are are solved, right? You're putting Kobe White in position where he's not a traditional point guard and they're ramping up the pressure in the fourth quarter and the defense and that's difficult for him. Zach Levine is a shooting guard but you're having him walk the ball up the whole court and like iso at half court and then he's getting his pocket picked by an opposing defender against the Nuggets and like you know it shouldn't happen that can't happen for Zach Levine but you know what if Zach Levine has to do that zero or one times in the fourth quarter instead of eight times it's probably not going to happen if you have a Chris Paul like guy at point guard where the ball's on a string you know what I mean so um, the lack of a traditional point guard I think would probably go uh, just getting one I think that would go a long way towards solving their troubles late. And and I think we have found out too that Thomas Sadoransky is better than Kobe White but he's not the answer either is he? No, I mean, he, he can't be throwing a ball to Kobe White when he stands out of bounds in the fourth quarter, you know? Like, that's that was maybe, like, the most frustrating play of the season for oh me for God. the Bulls. Because they had the lead. I can't remember if it was two or four. It was close, though, and late against the Nuggets on Friday night. And it's like, Kobe, like, you shouldn't be that close to the sideline. I know Sadoransky then started dribbling at you quickly for no reason, which made no sense. But running out of bounds isn't going to help the, help the situation either. And it's like chill out, Tomas. Like, you have a lead, you have the ball, and you don't really have a fast break here opportunity. Like, you're not going to go um, put up a wild shot, but just chill out and handle the ball yourself. You didn't need to throw it to Kobe either. So, like, so many things the Bulls do, there's multiple puzzling aspects of it, and a lot of times it doesn't even just get traced to one person, you know? So, uh, just... I think a traditional point guard would help a lot. And I think if you want to make a criticism of this Bulls front office, it's that they didn't go get one in the offseason. Um, there were some veteran point guards out there available to be had in the in the trade market or, or free agency. And the Bulls chose to pretty much just completely stand pat, bring back Denzel Valentine, who is a wing, and add Garrett Temple, who's a wing, and then draft Patrick Williams, which 
I mean, that makes sense because he's got a lot of talent, but he's not a guard either, you know? Like, that's not the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands late in the game. So just not having that guy has been difficult. Like, if you think about if the Bulls had a point guard version of Thad Young or even someone less talented than Thad Young because he's a pretty talented guy who gets paid, I think, about $13 million a year or so. Like, that's, that's a pretty penny, so maybe not that much. But, like, a guy like that just would go so far, I think, late in games. And that's not what the Bulls wanted at the time. Like, they wanted to develop Kobe White and some of these younger yeah. guys a little bit more. So we understood it, but I don't think we should be shocked when these these struggles rear their ugly head here. Yeah, I, I, I think you just nailed it, like, at the end there, that they really wanted to and thought that they were going to be able to develop Kobe White into the I mean, I remember the first, it was the first game against Atlanta this year. And after yeah. that game, after they looked horrible, the one guy that Billy Donovan was, I don't know if calling out is the right terminology, but he that was the guy that he was saying that, hey, he's got to be our guy. He's got to be our He's got to distribute the ball and be a point. It was like that was their project, which they have subsequently given up on, it seems. Yeah, and I, I don't want, maybe stunned is the wrong word, but certainly like, he hasn't really had an opportunity to flourish in the player that he should be this year because of what the Bulls pinpointed in him into being as a point guard when he's not a traditional point guard. So, like, I mean, second-year guy who's flashed that he can score big time and has two years left on a rookie deal, a lot of time to grow. Like, that's a player you want in your organization. Like, Kobe works so hard, so diligent about that. He's got a good attitude. So, like, Everything checks out there. I just think the Bulls need to focus maybe a little bit more on doing what's best for him rather than what is the biggest, most ideal pie-in-the-sky version for the entire organization when there's like a 1% chance of that working out. You know what I mean? So um, I think I think if he just got into more of a scoring role off the bench like we saw as a rookie, I think uh, we'd be like, man, he's progressed a lot better than we thought at times, and we'd see maybe fewer inconsistencies. But you know, he should have a should have a chance to do that a little bit more now on the bench, and he hasn't done it as well in the six games as he needs to. So that's what Kobe needs to prove down the stretch of the season, because um, these these young guys got to prove who's part of the future and who's not. And um, it does matter. Maybe not every single game. Maybe the game against the Jazz doesn't matter, but I can guarantee you the last 30 games of the season will matter. Yep, the game against Cleveland tomorrow at home will matter for sure. And that said, right now the Bulls, through 42 games, 19 and 23, what is your evaluation at this point of the job that the head coach Billy Donovan has done? Can you evaluate him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's done a pretty solid job. Like, we have seen a, a good deal of progress from the Bulls this year. Like, you got to remember, as frustrating as a lot of these close losses are for him, like, there was a lot of blowout losses with the same roster last year, right? So, like, losing at Denver in overtime feels awful for fans in the team, but there's a lot of situations where the Bulls in past years wouldn't have the ball up four with three minutes to play against a team like that that, that you know, went to the Western Conference Final last year and has an MVP candidate like, like Jokic is. So uh, I think Billy's done a better job organizing the offense and just having a – a clear game plan from night to night. Like, what can you count on? He's putting Zach Levine and Thad Young in a position and, and has a system in which the guys are in a position where, like, the Bulls know what their primary plan A is every night, right? Like, run the offense through Zach Levine. You're going to do a lot of high pick and rolls with Thad Young and get Thad Young the ball in the pocket and play from there. So, like, there is an identity for longer stretches each night in the Bulls' offense than there was in the past, which I think is a big deal. But... 
they haven't quite found that identity like when Wendell Carter and Lowry Markkinen are on the court at the same time or or all the time with Kobe at point guard. So like you see flashes of it and I think that's what Billy's done a good job. And I think he's done just a good job communicating with players and like there hasn't been like I haven't really seen a single player upset the whole season hardly by stuff other than Chandler Hutchison's weird situation which we don't still don't know exactly what is but like we need to worry about the top 10 or 12 players on the roster, not the final few, I think, when we judge coaches for the most part here. And like Larry Markkinen said the other night, like he agreed that Billy shouldn't have played him in crunch time at Denver. Like the, There haven't been any issues. So I think there's been a little bit more level of just day-to-day calmness and demeanor um, instilled in the Bulls and a little bit more offensive identity and um, helping these young guys through some tough times. But it's on the young guys, too, to step up and be more consistent. Last question for real, real this time, because I want to yeah. circle all the way back to those uh, Utah Jazz. And this is certainly recency bias because I was just so impressed. And I admit I haven't watched a lot of Utah Jazz basketball. If the Lakers get healthy again, let's just say everybody's healthy. Who you like right now for the NBA title? Have you have you been making predictions along those lines? I, what do you you know, I, Joe O asked me a few weeks ago what I thought kind of in the East and that was when the Nets had just started playing pretty well. I think they won 14 out of 15. This is probably near the near the start of that um, streak. And I said, like, at the time, I still loved the idea of the 76ers in a series against the Nets if they were fully healthy and get the ball to Embiid on the inside. So, honestly, I I feel like I might like the East a little bit more this year than, than the West just because of how well the Nets are playing. And, obviously, I think most people peg them as the favorites, and I don't disagree so much star power. Have to love how James Harden is produced there in in uh, in Brooklyn. Not just not just with KD out, but how he's kind of transformed his game to to do what Kyrie needs him to do. Like when they started in Brooklyn, James Harden played off the ball, and then Kyrie's like, you know, this offense runs better if James Harden's the point guard and I kind of play on the wing and play off of him. So like, it seems like James Harden's hit the right buttons, and he's really motivated because he wanted to get there, and he's had some ugly endings in, in Houston, obviously, in past seasons. So I like the Nets, and, you know, I still like the 76ers a lot. Like, they got an identity in beat, dominating, playing defense, destroying everyone in the post, and then having a lot of three-point shooters. I almost guarantee you the 76ers, I mean, they could get Kyle Lowry by Thursday afternoon. Like, that would be their um, favorite trade to make, obviously. It could work out, might not work out, depending how the Raptors and what Lowry wants to do with his future. But I think the 76ers will make a move before Thursday to get um, better, and I think the Nets obviously made their big move, so we kind of know what they'll look like. But I probably like those two teams more even than the team coming out of the West because LeBron's got a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out a while. The Lakers' path might get a little tougher. I love how the Jazz are playing. I just I just think I would probably like the East team a little bit more at this point, even though, you know, it seems like the West has um, had the run of dominance here in the last decade plus. So um, I don't know. Who do you like, Grody? Um, jazz? Man, I mean, I'm, I'm like so into the Jazz right now, but I got to hate saying this. But it's, I still feel like the Lakers are going to, assuming everybody's healthy, LeBron gets yeah. back, Anthony Davis, I still think the the Lakers will will win it all. For sure, for really sure. I don't really want them to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they got, and AD's had an injury for a while here. He's probably out a few more weeks too. So just feels like their season's been a little choppier. And unlike, like, we see NFL teams just get the sixth seed and go nine and seven and make a run to the Super Bowl. The NBA usually feels like, for the most part, teams that have smooth seasons, like the Jazz, for example, that's why you should like them. Like teams that are humming all season long often are the ones humming at the end, too, in a way. 
um, that there's maybe more upsets in other sports. All right, buddy, I'm going to go, and we're going to extend this conversation a little bit because you know who the Utah Jazz remind me of a little bit, not necessarily their personnel, but the way they are. The 2011 Chicago Bulls, the the Derrick Rose Bulls that got into the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami and had all the depth in the world and all the talent, but they had LeBron James, and LeBron James eliminated the Bulls. What do you think about that as a comp for the Utah Jazz? That's a fair assessment. I mean, the Jazz aren't going to have the best player on the floor in most postseason series that they play. I right. mean, maybe round one, you know. But as soon as they, they play anyone, whether it's the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Lakers, uh, they're probably not going to have the best player on the floor. But, you know, they're they're going to dominate you probably four to eight or five to eight there. I mean, what they got going just with Ingles and Clarkson usually coming off the bench, obviously Derek Favors, like they know exactly who they are there. So the depth helps. And Rudy Gobert, like, I mean, he dominates. It's like him and Joel Embiid that dominate in the paint unlike anyone else. So um, I guess if you were to take the Jazz to win the title, you're going to be betting on Donovan Mitchell to just step up in a huge way. And we saw that in the (laughs) bubble. I mean, Jamal Murray and Jokic just had the last shot. But I think, I mean, almost almost if you want to go back to, to the end of the bubble, the series the Jazz and Nuggets played that was so good, like Jokic got a like running hook shot over Rudy Gobert in the lane that was such a difficult shot that it was the game-winning bucket in game seven. And I know the Jazz ended up getting like a look at a three and everything, but it's like, it just feels like that's Donovan Mitchell's job for them. And maybe they don't have the number two guy on offense to create that quite as well in a playoff setting in the biggest games and moments of the series. Whereas the Nuggets got two of those guys, the Lakers got two, um, the Clippers have two if Paul Pierce isn't, or excuse me, Paul George isn't hitting the side of the backboard, for example, on his <laughs> shots in the playoffs. Like it feels like in the biggest moments, maybe they're one offensive creator short um, to to get over the hump. But that's you know that's why you got depth. That's why they expect more out of Mike Conley. That's why they need guys to step up and hit shots and Mitchell to go to the next level. Cody, thanks for taking four last questions. I appreciate you, man. Anytime, Grody. Have a good rest of the show. All right, buddy. That is Cody Westerland of 670thescore.com. And my guess is is that I am very late for a break, so we'll do that. And then I want to talk more about my Utah comp and a little bit more on the White Sox and something that Steve Stone said today on the Bernstein and Rahimi show. It's all coming up on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Mark Grody with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score here till 9. Then we'll have the best of all the great interviews throughout our day here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. I was talking earlier about the White Sox. It's like, I don't remember a season. Well, maybe some of those Cubs years, like 15 into 16, 16 into 17, where it's like just... End the spring training already. Get out there because how many glowing articles, glowing interviews can we read and listen to? Like everything is right for the White Sox. They have areas of minor concern. Like every team has concern about their fifth starter or backup catcher. Or in the Sox case, I guess the one legitimate area of, God, I don't even like using the word concern, but 
yeah. designated hitter. Is Andrew Vaughn going to be that guy? And it would be great for the White Sox if it is, because then you have another controllable young player. And I think Andrew Vaughn can be that guy. But just to to kind of magnify the point that I'm making, I was listening to to Bernstein and Rahimi today. Dan Bernstein and Layla Rahimi, 9 to noon every day here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score they had on Steve Stone, who we have on several times a week here on The Score. And Layla, well, just take a listen, because Layla is asking about the bullpen, and Stone takes it to another level. Take a listen. I think I said this earlier when they got Liam Hendricks. I still think it's one of the top five bullpens in all of baseball, and I'll probably be talking about this ad nauseum, Steve, but it's for good reason. I don't know that we can fully even describe what we're going to get until we see it in real games. Well, I think by saying it's one of the top fives, Layla, I think you might be underselling it just a touch. I think it's going to be one of the top two. Um, I, I do believe when you look at the depth and the diversity of this bullpen, and you take a look at the back ends. Okay, so the back end is obvious. you got Liam Hendricks, who probably will close most of the time. And then you have Crochet and you have Bummer. I think Aaron Bummer still is underrated. I think he's one of the best pitchers around. And Crochet, I just don't believe a whole lot of people are going to hit him. Then you add Kopech to that mix when he learns what he's doing out there, which he looks like he's in the process of doing. He's added to guys like Evan Marshall and, and – um, uh, you look at the pen, you don't even mention Hoyer's name, and yet you look at his stuff and you look at his numbers from last year to go along with Foster. I mean, there's guys out there that can really get it done. They're going to be the envy of most teams, and very few teams are going to want to get into that bullpen. So I think uh, all year long, if the starters protect them just a little bit, and you would think with Giolito eating up a lot of innings, as you've seen in spring training, and then with Keiko going as five or six, with Lynn going into the seventh and maybe beyond uh, as much as he can, and and then you know, you're know you probably going to protect Cease a little bit because of lack of innings the last couple of years, and, and then Rodon also you're going to protect him, but they can certainly give you five. Uh, I, I think the bullpen's going to be strong all year long. That's, I thought it was really funny. That was Steve Stone on with, with Bernstein and Rahimi. That was funny that Layla said that top five. So, oh, no, 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 no. You are underselling them. Top two. Come on, Bears. You know, I mean, it's it's like that's where we are with the White Sox. You could call them great, but they're actually greater. It's, it's not top five. We're talking top two at this point. So they have gotten steadily better throughout the spring in terms of the expectations. You know what I mean? Like they've actually turned up expectations throughout this spring and that's why this season needs to start stat for the Chicago White Sox and I've told you guys about my struggles with spring training this year like this is the first year and as many years as I can remember that I've just not been in that interested in watching the the spring training games that I need the real stuff and I I've decided what I think it is because I've surmised like different theories for myself on what it is and I think it's because it was a short season last year that it was a 60-game season, and it was pretty awesome, I thought. Like, everything about baseball was really fun last year, even though, you know, it wasn't ideal. But And then it left me needing more real games and probably had something to do with the fact that the Cubs and White Sox were both eliminated early. Um, you know, Cubs were, were taken out by the Marlins, 
And we know what happened to the White Sox against the A's last year. So I think it, it made me want more, and I just haven't been in the mood for spring training. I tried today, like I said, like, and I did. I, I kind of had it on in, in background on the radio when I was walking today, and then I, on the TV when I was preparing for the show today. My, my goal was going to be to sit down and watch it like it was a regular season game, and I just couldn't quite do it, you know? I got the gist of the game, good broadcast, all that kind of stuff, but... I just I have struggled this year with with spring training, but Layla and Stoney are right. I, the bullpen's going to be terrific. I hope there's no lasting effects from the the Oakland series with with Matt Foster and Cody Hoyer, who both struggled big time in that game. But can't wait to see a full year of what Garrett Crochet can bring and. And bummer, and the addition of Liam Hendricks, guys I mentioned. So everything sort of falls into place for the White Sox bullpen. And I think eventually the plan will be I didn't even mention Kopech, but I think Kopech eventually, probably not this year, will be back in the starting rotation. And I do think they're going to be careful with him, how they use him even out of the bullpen at first. But it's, it's going to be interesting. Let's just get it started now. Final break. When we come back, you will hear from one of the best Bears players last year, Cairo Santos. Just a quick little thing on Cairo Santos next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. How are we doing? Mark Grody winding down with you here for a few more minutes. Going to be a great hour coming up at 9 o'clock because... It is some of the best interviews from the day here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. By the way, I was making my comp earlier to the 2011. That's right. The 2011 Chicago Bulls and the 2021 Utah Jazz in terms of the depth that exists and the fact that it's going to be a tough road for Utah to get through a, depending how things line up and how far they go to deal with the same guy the Bulls had to deal with back in 2011 when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals and were eliminated by LeBron James and the, the Miami Heat. And I know LeBron James is hurt right now. Who knows what kind of condition he comes back in from that high ankle sprain and what kind of damage is done to the Lakers in the meantime without without LeBron James and without Anthony Davis right now as well. So we'll see if that hurts their seeding. I mean, you have to believe it will probably for the for the Los Angeles Lakers. The Bulls, that I love looking at old rosters. And that roster starting to look old. 2011, you're like, yeah, that's not that long. That was like 10 years ago now, man. Of course, Derrick Rose, Lou Aldang. Joakim Noah. How about Joakim Noah? He was at the Bulls game last night, sitting up there all alone, masked up, had a hat on, not showing the big hair. Um, he wants to retire as a Bull, which is awesome. Carlos Boozer was on that team. Taj Gibson. Keith Bogans, defensive expert. Kyle Korver, three-man. How about this one? C.J. Watson. Um, Omar Ashik. Oh, yeah. Or was it? Classic, I forget. Uh, Kurt Thomas, he was like their, in terms of the veteran presence, he was their Thad Young. Not as good as Thad Young, but he was the guy that everybody looked up to. And then, one more name, one more name, Ronnie 
Brewer. Oh, yeah. Another good defensive player. So it was a very deep team the Bulls had in 2011, and then they just could not overcome LeBron James. Didn't they sweep? I want to say they swept Miami that year. They're always good against Miami, but like regular season, and then came undone in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that was really the last time there was real noise from the Chicago Bulls. Um, All right. To the Bears. Back to the Bears. We've talked a lot of Bears tonight. Talked about quarterbacks earlier. How about the kicker? So today, I was part of a Zoom conversation with Cairo Santos, who recently got a new contract with the Bears. And I know that nobody really wants to talk about the kicker. But I think that's a little bit different in this town, considering what we all went through in 2018 um, after the double doink and the the tryouts and then finally somebody you know eddie pinero wins it after all that and then cairo santos essentially unseated him last year when he was injured and cairo came in it was a classic case of can't bring back eddie now not that eddie did anything wrong but cairo was just so good and he he became a guy who was very comfortable kicking at Soldier Field. Take a listen. Hey, Cairo, it sounds like, just from listening to all the answers to your questions about kicking at Soldier Field, that you liked kicking at Soldier Field. Is that, is that fair to say, or is that crazy? It's crazy to say, but it's fair to say as well. Because, you know, a place that I think is it's so daunting to, to kick, and, and, you know, we see away teams come in and struggle. Many great kickers come in and have pre-games that they're just, you know, puzzled by some of the ball movements that they see in, but just having that place to just use it as a weapon, you know, to, to kind of sharpen your game. I think it played an advantage for me to not only you know, deal with that eight games during the year, but to go at away places and just like, just having fun because like that wasn't a challenge, you know, it was just like the wins that I felt, it wasn't even going through my mind. It was just like aim the ball down the middle and hit it the way you always hit. And then stay true. I was hitting lots of good balls down the middle. So it was it was fun. And But it's a process that you have to just respect. And there are days that I, I'll be honest, I didn't kick well, um, but found a way to grind you know, and, and finish the day well, hitting the good sets and special teams periods. Um, and, and that just comes with, you know, you just – wanting to win the day, win the environments every single time. And and that becomes, you know, almost a, a game within each day. So it, it was fun. And I think it's some a place that, you know, um, it's going to keep me on my toes, just wanting to, to succeed and be a better kicker um, more and more. That is Bears kicker Cairo Santos on Zoom with us today. And... It's kind of what you want if you're a Bears fan or probably any NFL fan of any team. Get your kicker situation, get it squared away, and we don't want to hear about it. You know, get it. But unfortunately, since 2018, since the end of 2018, we've had to, all of us have had to deal with it a lot in terms of the, the double doink and then all the tryouts. And then it looked like it was Eddie Pinheiro. And even when it was Eddie Pinheiro, you, everybody kept waiting for it to not be Eddie Pinheiro. And then who knew it would be out of nowhere? Well, really not nowhere. He's been a lot of places, including the Bears previous to coming to the Bears. It is Cairo Santos. So there, I think that there should be 
uh, some peace of mind, if nothing else, that that Cairo Santos is providing for the Bears and the Bears organization. And he's the the only other kicker that seemed to actually like actively like kicking at Soldier Field was Robbie Gold. Like Robbie Gold never wanted to leave Chicago. We all we all know that Um, he he liked the challenge and. I will tell you that Cairo is the exact same way in times that I was able to talk to him before games, because sometimes you could talk to the special teams guys, you know, from my sideline vantage point. And he was always like giddy. He and Chris Tabor, Tabor always is giddy. They liked that challenge of dealing with the cold and the wind directions and what I'm going to have to do to compensate here or there and just figuring it out. And obviously both of those guys figured something out yesterday. If you hadn't heard, the Bears did make a couple of of other signings today. One probably more consequential than the other, and that was the signing of an offensive lineman, Elijah Wilkinson, out of Denver. One-year deal, and he's a right tackle. He started seven games for Denver last year, probably would have started more had he not been injured. But with Bobby Massey gone, there is your first competitor, I guess, along with Fetty, who is back for the right tackle spot. Are they, you know, it doesn't mean they're not going to draft somebody if they still have the 20th pick, if they don't move up or out of that spot, which would obviously suggest better things for the Bears, right? Um, And... You know, been very quiet on the left tackle side. Charles Leno still under contract. Um, Like I've said many times, I like him more than other people do. But it's not out of the question that they would consider upgrading on that side as well. Then the other signings, well, really two other signings. They signed linebacker Christian Jones to a one-year deal. Was with the Bears for three years, 2014 to 17. Then with the Lions, recently cut by the Lions. And the Bears said, hey, come on back. So they bring him back on a one-year deal. He'll back up. Uh, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, and then Brad Biggs had a report that DeAndre Houston Carson probably going to be back on a one-year deal as well. And he's just a good guy to have around. I mean, he's very he's become very good at special teams. They put him in in certain packages on defense from time to time as well. So, yeah, I know, I know, none of these signings are the ones that you want to hear. But these are the signings that are happening right now for the Bears. Who knows, though? Who knows what will occur in the coming days? Stand by, as we like to say. Thanks for listening tonight. Appreciate your interaction. Thanks for the calls and the text messages. We could definitely keep the conversation going on Twitter, at Mark Grody Sports. Just like Ryan Sandberg, I like to hang out on Instagram as well and Facebook or wherever. Just look me up. Find me. We could be friends. Totally hang out. Um, Ryan Sandberg was on the show tonight. Thank you to him. James Fegan of The Athletic. Talk White Sox with us. Cody Westerland of 670thescore.com. Talking Bulls. Going overtime with me tonight. I gave him four final questions. A broadcaster tip for all you youngsters out there. Um, So it has been a great show tonight. Mike Rankin, our executive producer. Mike, thank you so much for putting together a great show. On top of it with all the audio Appreciate you, Mike. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll talk to you soon on Chicago Sports Radio 670 Discord. I haven't heard any of that. I didn't hear all of it. I heard a lot about most of it, but what I did hear, I did not hear any of that. All right. Well, see you later. 
<sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.